we're going to look back at Acts 13. And so we'll look here at Acts 13. I know we've been looking at it a few weeks, but there's a lot here. It's another great chapter in the book of Acts, and there's a lot of great chapters in the book of Acts. But of course, Acts 13 is where we see Paul's ministry and his mission, really, because he was a missionary primarily. We see that work begin in his life. And the reason that work began in his life is because there was a church. And that church, the church of Antioch, was a biblical church, no doubt, because they had leaders that led them biblically. And we know three things they did. They worshiped, they fasted, and they prayed. And they did that. And they prayed, and because of their prayers, they heard the voice of God, and the Holy Spirit literally spoke to them and said to them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then what this church did is what all churches should do. They sent people out. And why did they send them out? For the work of the gospel. And I'm telling you, if you're part of a church that's not sending people out for the work of the gospel, get out of that church because it's not a biblical church. Because a church should not all be about itself and just growing and bloating itself to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The church is commanded and called to send people out of your midst. So your church should be shrinking if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, sending them out so they can go work at the gospel. Then God brings more people in. Then what do you do to those more people? Send them right back out. And you do that for the work of the gospel and for the mission of Jesus Christ. That's the way biblically it's supposed to be. And what did the book of Acts do? They did that. I mean, don't you think on the church of Antioch there, it was hard to send out Barnabas and Saul? Don't you think they were pretty key leaders in the church? I have a feeling that was pretty tough. Like, God, are you sure about this? I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, Barnabas is instrumental. I told you earlier when we saw him earlier in the book of Acts, he's the most Christ-like guy you're going to find in the Bible. And now they're sending the most Christ-like guy in their church out, getting rid of him because the Holy Spirit of God spoke to them, said, send them out, and they sent them out. And so Barnabas and Saul, they go. And they go, and they first go to the island of Cyprus. We read about that, and we found out what's going to happen every time we send people out. Do you know what's going to happen? They're going to be opposed. They're going to be persecuted. That is what's going to happen, whether we send them to Northside or whether we send them to Phoenix or whether we send them to North Africa. doesn't matter where we send them. They're going to be opposed. Why? Because Satan wants to oppose the gospel. That's why persecution's coming. That's why the church is opposed and that's why it's been opposed for 2,000 years to stop the work of the gospel. But we saw last week what happened when they were opposed. They didn't turn from that opposition. They didn't run in fear from that opposition. They stood up to it, literally spoke to it, and then God moved and he saved the governor of the area which they were in on the island of Cyprus. And then God continued to move. And so we saw that opposition, but we're going to see something else that is crucial that Acts 13 tells us. And we're going to see it as we just continue reading the story of Barnabas and Saul. So look there in verse 13 because this is what happens next. Okay, this is now this is very interesting and you probably won't catch it unless you pay really close attention. But verse 13 says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by a ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga, There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Okay, now this is the first time in the book of Acts that you have a shift. Not only do we start calling Saul Paul here, 
But now for the first time, Paul is going to be the first one always mentioned. Up until this point, every time you read about Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul, how does it say it? Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. It always went in that order. Now there's a shift and Paul is always mentioned first. So why do you think that is? Because he's starting to become the leader because he is who God has truly set apart to do what? God tells us in Acts chapter 9, but he sets Paul apart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? And so now Paul's changed his name. Now again, all that is is he's just going from his Hebrew name to a Greek name because he's going where? To Greek area. He's going to the world. So this is his... Gentile name, I guess, if you want to say it like that. But that's all the difference between Paul and Saul is, just a difference in translation there. And I think I told you last week what Paul means, but it just means short one. So I identify with Paul. I like him. <laughs> but it means short one. But that's just a change. But also here, this is going to be important as we get on into the book of Acts. Uh, you see there that it says, this is when John Mark left them and return to Jerusalem. Now, of course, John Mark is a relative of Barnabas, but he's also the man that will end up writing the book of Mark, and we don't know here why John Mark leaves. doesn't tell us here in Acts 13, but evidently there is some contention because if you go read Acts 15 when we get to it, there's going to be a lot of contention between Barnabas and Paul, and they actually split, and they go in opposite ways. Because basically what Paul does, and Paul has some flaws, I'll just say that, but he just throws John Mark away. I mean, that's basically what he does. Because in Acts 15, Barnabas wants to restore John Mark. And he wants to restore him basically to ministry and to missions and to the work. And you know what Paul says? Yeah, that dude left us, leave him. We're moving on. And wasn't the biblical thing to do. And so I think God worked in Paul's life there, but thank God for Barnabas. And you know what? If it wasn't for Barnabas, there would be no Paul, by the way, because what did Barnabas do for Paul? Same thing he did for John Mark, by the way. I mean, without Barnabas taking Paul and getting him to the Jerusalem church and saying, he's not going to kill you and discipling him for three years, I mean, Bar Paul would not be who he is. Okay, but... This goes to show you, even in the church, even when God's moving, even in leadership, there can be some relationship issues, right? You can have pride. You can have different ideas, different philosophies, different visions. And so there can be contention. Is that the way it should be? No, I don't believe so. But it did, but I still don't think that was God's plan. I mean, can God work all things together for good? Yeah, that's a pretty important Bible verse, right? Okay, but does that mean that God always does it? No, God most of the time takes our stupidity and our choices and our dumb decisions and then he takes that and he uses it and ministers through it and works it all things together for good. But most of the time we screw it up, right? I mean, is that not who we are? If you're not, we got other discussion to talk about pride. But that's just who we are. I mean, that's who we are. But... God worked through it, but this is where we'll come back to this when we get to Acts chapter 15, but this is just going to be important. Okay, now just one other thing about verse 14 before we go on there. 
it says they go inland to Antioch. This is not going back to the church of Antioch. This is a different Antioch, okay? And you can see that there because it says Antioch of Pisidia. So it's like if you go to Crossville, Alabama. Do you know there was a Crossville, Alabama? Up where I live, there's a Crossville, Alabama. But guess what? There's a Crossville, Tennessee. Do you know that? Up towards Knoxville. Okay, so that's kind of like this. You have the same name of a town in a different place. So that's what this is, just a different place. So this is where they're going. They're going to a different city to do what we're about to see. Okay, so look there. This is what happens towards the end of verse 14. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for services. Okay, now, as we read the rest of the book of Acts, you're going to see this is Paul's philosophy. This is what he does when he goes into a new city. This is how he basically meets people to start preaching Jesus. And so why do you think that is? Well, multiple reasons. But number one, Paul's pretty comfortable in a synagogue. Why? He's a Pharisee. That's why. I mean, that's what he knows. He's comfortable. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what, exactly what they're going to do in a service. He knows what they're going to read, when they're going to read it, because they always did the same thing. They read through Old Testament, through the Law of Moses, through whatever they had, whatever scroll they had, and then somebody would read it and somebody would talk about it. So there was also common ground in the synagogue, because you're going to see kind of the philosophy Paul preaches throughout his ministry and how he does it. And so there's commonality between Jews and Christians. Why? Because where did Christianity come from, come out of? Judaism. Okay, so now Paul's taking it where? To the Gentiles. He's taking it to the world. But you're going to see something interesting here that you wouldn't see in Jerusalem. Okay, this is what it says in verse 15. After the usual readings from the book of Moses, okay, that's what they always did, and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent this message Brothers, now this is talking to Paul and Barnabas. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Okay, now this is very common as well. If you had people who were coming in from the outside, it was almost like having a guest preacher. Now, one thing that it's just obvious, you can kind of even tell it in our day, it's obvious when someone comes in and starts talking if they're educated or not, if they have scripture or not, if they know Bible or not, you can just tell that, right? Okay, so now remember, Paul's a Pharisee. He would have been pretty comfortable in this place, but what tribe was Barnabas from? You remember? We talked about this. He was a Levite. Okay, Barnabas is Levite. What is the tribe of Levite? Who are they? The priestly tribe. Okay, so Barnabas is pretty comfortable in the synagogue. Okay, so you got a Pharisee and a priest walking in a synagogue. Now that's starting a joke, right? But what are you going to do? Well, come share with us. I mean, that's what they did. You heard what we read, the law of Moses, come share with us. So Paul said, okay, I'll do that. So that's why he would go to a synagogue. He would get these opportunities. So verse 16, so Paul stood up, lifted his hand to quiet them, and then started speaking. Now, this is interesting. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Okay, now, if he would have been in Jerusalem at the temple, would he have been able to say that sentence? Why not? 
Because no Gentiles would have been in there, right? Because what does the temple, what did it have? It had a court of the Gentiles. Okay, now why did it have a court of the Gentiles? Okay, they couldn't go into the temple. Why? Did God forbid Gentiles to go into the temple? So what happened? Not just Jews, the Pharisees. Okay, we talked about this. What did Pharisees do? They would take the law of God and then they would kind of build fences around it. And they would create their own laws. Like things on Sabbath. I mean, Jesus dealt with this how many times? Okay, Jesus dealt with this all the time with ritual washing and all this garbage that the Pharisees would build laws. So Paul is what? Pharisee. So this is what he did. And this is why he persecuted the church in Acts 7, 8, 9. This is what he's doing. Because they have all these goofy man-made things and traditions put in place to keep people what? Out. Okay? Are they any different than the church today? Okay, we don't have to talk about that, but think about it. Okay, do we not do the same thing? Of course we do the same stupid thing. But we do this to keep people out. I don't know why, but that's what they did. But here in Antioch of Pisidia, they're in a synagogue. Now, just so you know, any town where there are 10 Jews, they can have a synagogue, 10 Jewish men. So evidently there's a Jewish community here in this town. It's probably why Paul and Barnabas went to this town so that they could preach and have this. Okay, so that's what they're doing. So just interesting things here that you have to catch. But I love the part where it says, would you give us a word of encouragement? That's what they're asking Paul to do, a word. Okay, so what's Paul going to do? He's going to give them a word. He's going to give them a word. They ain't going to like it, but he's going to give them a word. Okay, verse 17. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. Now again, where was the reading from that they just read? Okay, so where does Paul start? Moses. Okay, that's why he starts here. Verse 18, he put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. So in two sentences, Paul goes through 450 years of Jewish history. Two sentences. Why is he doing it so fast? You're going to find out real quick because everything he wants to do is point to Jesus. Okay? But here's something to focus on too. Where is Paul's focus in this? Is it on the nation of Israel? What's it on? It's on God. He's talking about God all the way through. What did God? God chose them. God did this. God put up with their stupidity and wandering for 45 years. I mean, he's always talking about God. So it's God, God, God. There's a reason for that. Okay. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. So he goes through judges and first and second Samuel, one sentence. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. Now, do you know what tribe Paul's from, by the way? Benjamin. So just that's probably why he threw that in, because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David 
the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, this is going to be important. Keep reading why he's doing all this. Verse 23, And it is the one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Every Jew in that place would know that Old Testament prophecy said the Messiah would come from the line of David. And so Paul gets there quick so that he can point people to Jesus to show them that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And in verse 24, he goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament really quick. How does he transition? With the transition. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. Now, did the early church keep preaching that message? Heck yeah, they did. Go read Acts 2. When Peter preached and the Bible says the people on the day of Pentecost, his words pierced their heart, what did he tell them to do? Repent of their sins, turn to God, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and so that you will be full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, keep going here though. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not, but he is coming and I am not even worthy to be his slave and to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing so, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. Now this is a great verse that we should really focus on. Verse 29. When they had done all the prophecies said about him, about Jesus, they took him down from the cross. Now who fulfilled all the prophecies about Jesus? Not only Jesus Christ, who else? All the people that took place in that crucifixion scene. Not only that, in the burial. I mean, think about it. Do you think those guys that were standing at the feet of Jesus, those Roman soldiers that were throwing lots, casting for Jesus' garment, do you think they had Psalm 22 reading it? Oh, we better do this next. Psalm 22 says they're, they're going to roll dice for his clothing. They didn't know that. I mean, do you really think that the Pharisees, Caiaphas and Annas, who were in charge of this whole deal, really understood their fulfilling prophecy by hanging Jesus on a tree? They just wanted him hung on a tree because it says God cursed people who hang on a tree. I mean, on and on and on. We talk about the prophecies of Jesus and everything fulfilled through the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection. But when was Jesus taken off the cross? when everything that had prophesied had been finished, right? Did Jesus not proclaim that? What was finished? Not he. Jesus wasn't finished. He wasn't done, even though his life on this earth came to an end, right? He died. But is that what he's talking about? It is finished? No. What was finished? The telestai, what does it mean? It means everything that God had done, everything since the garden, 
everything God had pointed to and everything that he had worked together, all of it on the cross with Jesus Christ, everything being done and fulfilled was finished. And now salvation is available again. And just so you can be assured of this, what did they do? Well, they took him off a cross. They buried him in a tomb. Does Paul talk about that? Yeah. Keep reading. When they had done all the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him where? In a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second Psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Just keep reading. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in a grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in a grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Let me just tell you why he's saying this. Because you got to know a little bit about Judaism to understand this. Okay, and they actually buried Jesus this way. But Jews, back in the first century and even before that, the way they buried people is they did not embalm them. Egyptians would embalm. They would take all the blood out of the body and they would embalm them so that the body would not decay as fast. But Jews wanted the bodies to decay and to decay very quickly. That's why when Jesus, they wrapped him with spice and then wrapped him with cloth just so he wouldn't stink. But they wanted that body to decay. And where did they place him? Did they open a grave and dig it down and put him down in a vault and cover it with dirt? They put him in a cave because what would they do? They would come back to that cave. And after the body and the flesh had decayed, what's left? Bones. They would take the bones. They would put them in a bone box. And then that's what they would bury. You know why they would do this? Because there was a prophecy in Ezekiel. The dry bones become what? Flesh. Okay, they believed when the Messiah came that all those dry bones they had been saving for years and years and years would what? What would happen to them? They would be raised up to life and those dry bones would become flesh. That's why they took David's body and put the bones in a bone box. And so Paul's explaining, this ain't what happened to Jesus. What we've been doing for years and years and decades and centuries and centuries, they didn't do that to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was raised to life. Because he's the son of God. He is the Messiah. Make no mistake about it. Look at verse 38. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and died. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. And this is what happens after they preach. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things the next week. 
many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Look at just verse 34, what happens? The following week, almost the entire city turned out, why? To hear them preach the word of the Lord. Okay. What is Paul doing? He's preaching the word of the Lord. And what happens? It changes people. That's what happens. Changes a city, right? A whole stinking city comes back to hear him preach the word of God because he is preaching the truth of God's word. I could talk about this all day especially in our day. But do you realize here, this is the first recorded sermon we have from Paul? I'm telling you, this is a lot better than my first sermon. I won't tell you about my first sermon. It was bad. It was really bad. Paul's pretty good. You know why he's good? Because he focuses on Jesus. And that's what every sermon should focus on. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, he would train young preachers. He has a whole set of books, letters to my students. And the one thing he always talked about, no matter where you go in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, no matter wherever you read, you make a beeline to Jesus. Because that's what Scripture does, right? <laughs> you know it, that's what it does. And that's what Paul does, that's what he did, and you're going to see it all through the book of Acts. He makes a beeline to Jesus, and he focuses on God's Word. Why does he do it? Later in life, he tells us why he does it. Listen to what he says to Timothy. <clears throat> this is just before he's going to die. Because Paul's going to die. Because why? He preaches the Word of God. That's why he's going to die. And he's in a Roman prison. And he's in chains. And he's going to be beheaded outside the city of Rome. So Timothy, a young man that he mentored, unlike John Mark, by the way, but he learned from his ways. And he started mentoring young men to take over after him. Timothy's one of these young men. And he mentors him. And Timothy's going to take over his ministry. He's going to pastor the church of Ephesus. Okay, and this is what he says. 2 Timothy 4. He says, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. If there's one thing, Timothy, you're to do, and only one thing, this is it. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct and rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And guess what? They'll find them. They're finding them in our day. They will reject the truth, and they will chase after myth. But you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. What ministry had he given him? Preaching the good news. Preaching the word, that is the only ministry he has. And I'm telling you, if you are called as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are you called to do? To tell people about Jesus, to preach the word of God, and to not stray from it. Why? Because one day you're going to be judged. Right? One day I'm going to give an account for every sermon I've preached. 
There's a lot of them, man. I've done, I've preached a lot. A lot of them are bad. I'm going to be judged for that and everything I said and the intent in which I said it. I'm going to be judged. So you might want to stick to what God says, right? I'm pretty clear on that. And I'm pretty clear that I've been called to preach the word and nothing else. Okay? And somebody needs to tell preachers that in our day. Because they preach a lot of things. But a lot of it's not the word of God. A lot of it's ideas of man. And if you want to know why churches are dying, and if you want to know why people are straying, and if you want to know why our world's in the condition it's in, that's why. Because people did not heed this message when they were called to do what God told them to do. Preach the word of God. Guess what? I'm not the only one called to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to do it as well. You might not do it in the same setting I do it in, but you're called to do it. And guess what? One day you're going to be judged for it, whether you know it or not. Because that's what he does. He's judges. And he's going to judge you. Paul talks about this judgment. He talks about what it's going to be like. And there's a lot of stuff going to be burned up, by the way. A lot of it. Hopefully some of the things you got are only going to be purified and be more precious like gold and silver and precious jewels. But I'm here to tell you, stick to the Word of God. Stick to it. 